That was a blessing. Pastor mentioned that I like to celebrate birthdays. Well, we're going to celebrate a birthday today, if that's okay. Um, I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? Uh, we've had a few renditions of it here in our church. Um, a couple years ago, somebody with a trumpet played it at Syncspiration. I thought that was a pretty good version of it. I don't want to be biased, but um, but it is one of the modern songs for Christmas that a lot of people love. I, I was with my parents this week, and I asked my mom, Mom, what is your favorite Christmas song? And she said, Mary, did you know? And um, her name is Mary, so she might be a little bit biased. But um, we love the song, Mary, did you know? I didn't know that much about it. I knew that it wasn't a classic hymn. It wasn't a classic Christmas carol. So I, I looked up a little bit about the song. So the song was written by a man named Mark Lowry um, in 1984, so just about 40 years ago. And he didn't write it as a song. He actually was putting together the church Christmas program for his Baptist church. And he wrote it as like play-like dialogue in between the carols that they would sing. So he wrote it. And then after writing it and after the Christmas program happened at his church, he said, it'd be great if we could make this into a song. But it wasn't until seven years later that he actually met his writing partner, Buddy Green, who did the music for the song. So the song was originally recorded in 1991 and released that year. But the most fascinating thing about the song that I found was the inspiration for all the questions. They came from a conversation he was having with his mother. And his mother said to him, you know, can you imagine Mary standing silently at the cross? You know, wouldn't you want to ask her, did you know? Did you know that your son Jesus was going to be crucified? Did you know that he was going to deliver his people from their sins? Did you know that he was going to save you from your sins? So his, he had this conversation with his mother, and all these questions just flooded into his mind. He wrote the lyrics for this song. And I think, you know, to ask the question, as Pastor mentioned before, what did Mary know about Jesus that 33 years prior to his crucifixion on Christmas? I think it's a good question to ask. And when we look at scripture, specifically, we're going to look this morning at the book of Luke, chapters one and two. And when we look at scripture, we realize that Mary actually knew quite a lot. She didn't know everything, but she knew quite a lot. So that is the question we're going to ask today. What did Mary know about Jesus? And we're going to see the Christmas story through Mary's eyes a little bit. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Christmas. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this Christmas message in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to do this morning is just ask, who was Mary? Um, and even before that, I want to ask, who wasn't Mary? Because there's a few things about Mary that certain people believe, certain religious systems believe, and I think that we should clear that up. The first thing to clear up, Mary wasn't sinless. She was not sinless. A lot of people think that she, just like Jesus, had an immaculate conception, and she was born sinless, and then she lived her life sinless. But in the passage that Chris Fox read this morning, in her prayer, in Luke 147, she says, 
and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. So if Mary was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior. But right away in the prayer that we hear of Mary, she says she needs a Savior. The second thing that Mary wasn't was she wasn't a perpetual virgin. So yes, she gave birth to Jesus Christ as a virgin, but some people also believe that then for the rest of her life, she was a virgin. So, you know, they venerate the Virgin Mary. But we know from Matthew 13, 55, that she had other children. So there's the crowd in this verse talking about Jesus. And they say, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And, you know, some people try to explain away, oh, they don't mean physical, biological brothers. It means brethren in general. But that is not the case. And then also in Matthew 1.25, you know, Joseph, he, he doesn't want to marry Mary because uh, he finds out that she's pregnant and they're engaged, legally engaged. But the angel says, no, take Mary to be your bride. And the baby that she has in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. And it says, and Joseph knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So the implication in this verse, when you see that word till, the implication is after Jesus was born, at some point, they had marital relations. So before Jesus was born, they did not. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. And the third thing, Mary isn't an intercessor between us and Jesus. Some people believe this. They, they pray to Mary to intercede on behalf of them for Jesus. But I feel like 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul's letter to Timothy clears it up really quickly. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So God is in heaven. We are here on earth. And the only thing between us and God the Father is Jesus Christ the Son. So we don't pray to Mary. Um, there is a church on 15th Street and 2nd Avenue called St. Mary's Byzantine Catholic Church. And I always marvel when I see it. Um, they have mosaic work on the front of it and then on the two sides, but it's Mary who's big in the center. And then you see Jesus, a little mosaic of Jesus to the right. And they've gotten it all wrong. They've gotten it all wrong. But I also have to say, me and Pastor were talking before the service. I think that we who are not part of the Roman Catholic system or Orthodox system, who, who don't believe that Mary was divine in some way, um, I think that sometimes we tend to have the pendulum swing a little bit too far the other direction where we almost dismiss Mary. And I would just say, you know, she was God's vessel that he used to bring Jesus into the earth. And if we can talk about and study and read the prayers and the narratives about Ruth and Esther and Hannah and other women in the Bible and other men in the Bible, for that matter, then we can certainly look to Mary and gain some insight into Jesus. So who was Mary? So Mary was a righteous young woman, highly favored by God, and used as his vessel to bring forth his son, Jesus. And we, we learn a lot of that from the angel Gabriel, what he says about her. And then I like this verse, Luke 2.51. So when Jesus is 12 years old and they lose him, they forget him back in Jerusalem and he's in the temple, um, there's this whole thing that happens and it says, but Mary, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So we have to remember that Mary was the source of a lot of the information that we have, at least for the Christmas story. 
So um, many people believe that she was interviewed one-on-one from Luke or other writers of the Gospels. So Mary is the source of a lot of what we know. So what did Mary know about Jesus? So you can follow along with me in your notes if you'd like to. Uh, hopefully the notes aren't too overwhelming, but you know if they are, you can just sit back and listen. So the first thing that Mary knew was the promises of Scripture. Mary knew the promises of Scripture. So even before we get to the book of Luke, you know, Mary has been brought up until that point in her life, and she knows the Scripture. Her parents taught her well, and the reason we know that is because Mary's song, the part of which we read um, earlier, and we'll read more of it, you know, her prayer, it's a scriptural prayer of thanksgiving. You know, she says things about God that you couldn't know about God unless you had studied the scriptures and read through the Psalms and even read Hannah's prayer. And so Mary is coming along in a long line of people who prayed in the Bible. So her prayer, for instance, in Luke 1, 49 through 51 says, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So Mary knew the promises of scripture. And many of the things she would have known were the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Um, Earlier this morning, we had our city youth class and Emmanuel taught. And I said, you know, just come up with some sort of Christmas lesson. Let's take a break from the curriculum. And he taught on the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus. So Mary would have known Isaiah 714, that Jesus was going to be, the Messiah rather, was going to be born of a virgin. She would have known Micah 5.2, that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. She would have known Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would eventually crush the head of the serpent. But one of the promises that she actually references in her song and her prayer is from Genesis 12, 3, where it says, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God is talking to Abraham here, and he's saying that in thee, you're going to be blessed, uh, the world is going to be blessed. So Mary knew the scriptures, and if you're following along the notes, Jesus, the seed of Abraham, would bless all the families of the earth. And we know that Mary knew this because she said in Luke 1, 54 and 55, he, God, hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Okay, so the second thing Mary knew was the pronouncement of Gabriel. Mary knew the pronouncement of Gabriel. So as you know, angels appeared in the Old Testament. Most of them were unnamed. We can think of Jacob and his dream in Genesis 28, where angels are ascending and descending on the ladder, going up to heaven, coming back down to earth. We think of Elijah being fed by an angel as he's under a tree, and he's about to go on a 40-day fast. Um, Or Daniel. You know, Daniel, when he's in the lion's den, he says God sent his angel to close the mouth of the lions. There's also the angel of the Lord. This is one who... Most biblical scholars believe is God himself because this angel appears to people and then speaks as God in the first person. So we think of, you know, Abraham, he entertained angels. There were three angels and one of them spoke to him as from the perspective of God. Uh, Moses met the angel of the Lord in the burning bush in Exodus. And then Gideon was at a wine press threshing wheat when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And then there are two angels in the Old Testament that are named the angel Gabriel, and the angel Michael. 
And we learn about them in, in the book of Daniel. Um, Gabriel comes to Daniel and Michael helps him along the way. And he explains to him this vision that Daniel has of the old, uh, sorry, of the end times. So it's interesting, though, because there are angels in the Old Testament. It's pretty sporadic. You know, there may be hundreds of years in between angel appearances. And then we get to the New Testament. And the Christmas story is just flooded with angels. You know, at the beginning of Luke, Gabriel appears to Zacharias, who's Jesus's uncle. Um, he appears to Mary in the scene that we're going to speak about. He uh, speaks to Joseph, Mary's husband, in a dream, telling him to marry Mary. And then, of course, the famous story of the shepherds, the angels appear. So in this pronouncement from Gabriel, he appears to Mary and it says in Luke 1, 28 through 31, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So Mary then questions Gabriel. She says, how, how can this be? You know, I'm not married. I've never known a man. How could it be that I'm going to bring forth this son? And Gabriel says, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So Mary knew the pronouncement of Gabriel that Jesus, the Son of God, would rule an everlasting kingdom. Jesus, the Son of God, would rule an everlasting kingdom. So 90-second art history break here. Um, if you don't like art history, you can take a 90-second nap. Um, most of the paintings I'm going to show you today, they're from an artist called El Greco. And that's not his name, but that's what we know him as. His name was Dominikos Theotokopoulos. Uh, that's my best pronunciation. He was from the Isle of Crete, but he trained in Italy. And, you know, when he introduced himself as Dominikos Theotokopoulos, they said, you're the Greek guy. And so in Italian, El Greco means the Greek. Um, and he's known for the way that he paints light, the light shimmers in the sky, on the clouds, on the fabric. He's known for his elongated figure, figures. And he's actually one of my favorite artists. Um, this painting here of Jesus, it's my favorite painting of his. Um, I've never seen it before in person. It's in Ireland. I've seen versions of it. But it's called the Salvatore Mundi, which is the savior of the world. And it's a common theme in art, actually. You'll see it from other artists where you see Jesus and he's holding up the sign of the Trinity and he has his hand on a ball or a globe and it indicates that he has the power over the world and he's the savior of the world. Um, there's another painting of the Salvatore Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci. And this one was done about a hundred years prior. And some of you may know, this is the most expensive painting that was ever sold. So in 2017, Christie's put it up for auction and they sold it for $450 million. So half a billion dollars was spent. And it's a surprise who bought it. It's um, the crown prince of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. His name is Mohammed bin Salman. So go figure. You know, he, I'm sure, wants his kingdom 
to last forever, but it's going to be Jesus's kingdom that actually lasts forever. So the third thing that we know that Mary knew was the proclamation of Elizabeth. So the proclamation of Elizabeth as Chris read this morning. So at the end of Gabriel's visit to Mary, he says, now go to your cousin Elizabeth. And cousin could be relative. We don't know exactly how they're related. Um, but go and visit her. She's actually pregnant too. And this would have been a surprise to Mary because Elizabeth was known that she was barren. It was known among the people. She was older, she was barren, but she was also righteous. And so God answered this prayer that she would be pregnant too. And Gabriel said, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. So Elizabeth had this miracle five, six months prior. And, you know, when she became pregnant in Luke 125, she said, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. So one young girl who's having this miraculous pregnancy is going to meet her relative, an older barren woman who also has a miraculous pregnancy. And it says, it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So I think it bears repeating that this is an amazing, amazing thing. That a baby in a mother's womb would leap at the sound of Mary's salutation as she comes in the house. And... I had an experience last week that, you know, not as dramatic, of course, but it was a pretty dramatic experience. So many of you guys know Reggie is visiting us. Um, he's a member of our church, but he's been in Texas for almost a year and a half. We haven't seen him. And every so often, Hattie asks me, oh, how's Reggie doing? And, you know, we'll be together. and we'll, Let's give him a call. and We call him. But Hattie loves Reggie. And last week, last Sunday morning, I picked up Hattie uh, for church. And many of you know Hattie, you can't see, she's blind. Um, and so Reggie said, well, just don't tell her I'm here. Just put her in the car and I'll be in the back seat. And so Reggie's in the back seat and we get Hattie in the car and we get her situated. situated. And then Reggie says, hey, Micah, who's that beautiful woman you have in the front seat of your car? And Reggie has a very distinctive voice. Hattie literally almost jumped from the front seat to the back seat of the car. She was embracing him. She screamed and she embraced him with joy because she was so surprised and so happy to see Reggie. So very dramatic, not quite as dramatic as a babe in the womb, but it gave me an indication of what John would have been like in the womb of Elizabeth, jumping and leaping for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. And the reason he did this is told us actually earlier in Luke, in Luke 1.15, as Gabriel is talking to Zacharias, his father, he says, for he, John, shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. It's incredible. Um, Luke 1.43, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth calls Jesus in the womb of Mary, my Lord. Um, I looked up the Greek here, and 
Elizabeth uses the same phrase that Thomas uses in the famous verse, John 20, 28. So you guys remember Thomas, he's known as Doubting Thomas because he was the one disciple after Jesus raised from the dead and showed up among the disciples in the upper room. Thomas wasn't there. And so they tell him, Jesus is alive. He's resurrected from the dead. He's here. And Thomas says, I won't believe it unless I touch the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side. So sometime later, Jesus shows up to Thomas and he condescends to the request that Thomas had made. And he says, touch me here, Thomas. Shove your finger in my side. And so Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. And it's just so beautiful to me that Elizabeth uses the same language, my Lord, when she's talking about the baby in Mary's womb. So Mary knew the proclamation of Elizabeth, Jesus, my Lord, would bring supernatural joy. Jesus, my Lord, would bring supernatural joy. The fourth thing Mary knew was the prophecy of Zacharias. So Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, and John the Baptist's father, he also has a prophecy about Jesus. So we won't read all the verses, but Zacharias met Gabriel at the very beginning of Luke. He's in the temple. He's serving the Lord. He was chosen by Lot to be the one person inside the temple. And Gabriel appears to him. And he says that you're going to have a son. And Zacharias doesn't believe him. So here is this priest serving in the temple. He has all the Old Testament prophecies and narratives behind him where barren women did become pregnant. There was Sarah and there was Rebecca and there was Rachel and there was Hannah. But Zechariah says, I don't believe it. And so Gabriel strikes him dumb. And so he's not able to speak after that. And I believe that he actually also wasn't able to hear because at one point in uh in the scripture, it says that they were making signs to him to, you know, ask him about John's name. So I believe that he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. But finally, after John is born and they named him the baby John, um, and Zacharias confirms, no, the angel told me to name him John. Um, it says that his, his tongue was loosed and he prophesied. And his, John's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, so I just want to make a quick comment about the Holy Ghost in the Christmas story. This, I've known the Christmas story my whole life. Probably you guys have too. And this season, as I was studying Luke, I just was shocked. God really showed me how much the Holy Spirit worked in the Christmas story. So we, of course, know that people in the Old Testament, there were people filled with the Holy Spirit. There were judges like Samson, uh, kings like David and Saul and prophets but it wasn't a commonplace occurrence. You know, again, it could be hundreds or thousands of years between occurrences, at least recorded, where the Bible says that somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit. But here we are in the Christmas story, and John the Baptist in the womb is filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, becomes pregnant. Elizabeth, it said, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um as far as John, you know, sometimes I think Pentecostals think they have the corner on the Holy Spirit, but John the Baptist, the very first Baptist in the womb, was also filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and we as Christian believers can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So 
the same Holy Spirit that filled those in the Old Testament, the same Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And we have to remember that at Christmas, especially when we read the book of Luke. So Zacharias's prophecy. I was also surprised to remember that his prophecy doesn't focus so much on John the Baptist. Yes, it mentions John the Baptist, but the prophecy itself is more focused on the one that John the Baptist came to prepare for. So Luke 1, 68 through 69 and 74 said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So Mary knew the prophecy of Zacharias that Jesus the horn of salvation, would deliver his people. Jesus, the horn of salvation, would deliver his people. So the fifth thing that Mary knew was the praise of the shepherds. Mary knew the praise of the shepherds. And these were no ordinary shepherds. If you've ever done any study about them, it is believed that Bethlehem, being only five miles southwest of Jerusalem, that these were the shepherds that were actually raising the sheep that would become the sacrifices for the temple. So they had almost a priestly job, certainly a very important job. They weren't just raising sheep to eat. They were raising sacrifices for the temple. And the angels, of course, show up. As I mentioned, there are so many angels in the Christmas story. And I would say that this part of the Christmas story is one of the better known Um, even by secular people. And I think there are many reasons for that. But one of them is the fact that a Charlie Brown Brown Christmas, first made in 1965, has this story verbatim from the King James Version of the Bible. Um, At the beginning of the the movie, Charlie says, Linus, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I just, I, I get depressed this time of year. I like Christmas. I like giving gifts and getting presents. And I like the trees. But I just feel this gloominess in Christmas. And so the story goes on and Charlie Brown can't figure it out. And he asks several people. And then finally, as they're directing this Christmas play, Charlie Brown says, and I won't play it. I was going to play it, but I don't know about the audio here. So he says, does anybody know the real meaning of Christmas? And finally, Linus, with his little blanket, says, I do, Charlie Brown. And he walks to the middle of the stage. And he says, lights, please. And he just gives this monologue, which is from the book of Luke. Um, And I'll read it. Just imagine me holding a blue blanket. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So 
I know some of the younger generation hasn't seen a Charlie Brown Christmas story, but it's amazing when you do research on it that in 1965, this was the first Peanuts presentation that they put on TV and CBS, the network said, you can't put that Bible in there. You can't, can't put that scripture. You know, this is what, six, 60 years ago almost. Um, and Charles Schultz, the, the creator of Peanuts, he said, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? So he fought and he got it in there. And then the show became a huge hit. They play it every year on TV. Um, but the shepherds, you know, they hear from the angels and then they come with haste to find Jesus in the manger. Luke 2.17, then when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which is told them concerning the child. So these shepherds, they didn't keep it to themselves. They saw the baby Jesus, and then they made known abroad what was told to them. So Mary knew the praise of the shepherds. Jesus, the son of David, would be the Lamb of God. Jesus would be the Lamb of God. And I think that El Greco understood that in this painting. It's called The Adoration of the Shepherds. And here's a close-up. Um, there's a sheep, and the sheep's legs are bound. You know, and, and they would bind the sheep's legs before they sacrifice them. So in the painting, he has the sheep below and then the baby Jesus right above. So I, I really believe that he got this connection. The next thing Mary knew was the prediction of Simeon. Mary knew the prediction of Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him again. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. So this is the fifth person we see now filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is just in the second chapter. And so the Christmas story, as I said, it's filled with the Holy Spirit's work. Then took he, Simeon, he took up Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and glory the people of Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the falling and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Mary knew the prediction of Simeon, that Jesus, the light of the Gentiles, we had have, we have the Bible verse today talking about the light. We can't cover up our light, but it's a reflection that Jesus is the light of the Gentiles, and he would reveal the hearts of men. So how true is that? What does that mean, Jesus would reveal the hearts of men? Well, throughout the New Testament, we see the Pharisees, and they're supposed to be the religious leaders, these very uh, religious, devout men. And Jesus revealed their hearts. They would rather have their law and their power and their money than a relationship with the Messiah. Jesus revealed the hearts of the sinners that he came into contact with. You know, how many sinners, including Mary Magdalene and the woman at the well and Zacchaeus, you know, they meet Jesus. And even though they're living in sin, their hearts are open and he changes their life, and they become followers of him. And Jesus gives parables about the fact that, you know, the person who's forgiven the most is the one that loves him the most. So he revealed the hearts of sinners. 
And isn't it even true today? You know, you, you speak the name of Jesus to somebody, you're bound to get a reaction. It reveals their heart. Are they for him? Do they love him? Do they want to deepen their relationship with him? Or do they reject him? So Jesus, the light of the Gentiles, would reveal the hearts of men. But I don't want to skip over what Simeon also said. He said, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. So this sort of brings us back to the inspiration of the song, Mary, Did You Know?, where the writer's mother had asked, standing at the cross, do you think she knew? And Simeon tells us that she knew something. She probably didn't know the details. Um, you know, one of Michael Coleman's favorite passages is Isaiah 53. So she may have said, oh, Isaiah 53, that's about my son. But she at least knew that a sword was going to pierce her soul. So for 33 years, as she raises this baby boy and this teenage boy and this young man, she's still his mother. She has this foreboding sense that something is going to happen. And then it does. Um, she stands at the foot of his cross, silent. Most of the disciples have disappeared, except for John. There's Mary Magdalene and her. And Jesus, her son, who's done nothing but good and loves the world, is being mocked. He was beaten. He has blood running down his face from his crown of thorns. And so her soul was pierced. But we, of course, know that Jesus' story didn't end with that sorrow on the Friday. The fact that he carried his cross and willingly gave up his life was not only prophesied, but it was God's plan all along, all the way back to Genesis, when the seed of the woman was going to be his, he was going to be bruised by the serpent. So this is the bruising where Jesus was crucified. But Three days later, of course, the resurrection. And I don't know how much Mary knew about the resurrection because she showed up on that Sunday morning to anoint his body with the other women. But so much of what Mary knew about Jesus was fulfilled in that glorious day when she went to the tomb looking for his body and they had the spices and the oils and they were going to anoint his body and mourn his death. But there's the empty tomb. And his body is not there. And not too long after that, Mary saw the risen Christ, her son in his risen body, and glorified him. But back to the Christmas story. The, the last thing I want to mention this morning that Mary knew was she knew the profession of Anna. Mary knew the profession of Anna. So here is this woman. The Bible tells us she's 84 years old. She had been a widow from her youth when she was very young. Her husband died. And we know that in Israel, in that culture, that a, a widow was pretty much considered destitute. And oftentimes she would get remarried um, just so she could have a life. Well, Anna didn't. She made God her heavenly husband. And she would go to the temple and she prayed and she fasted daily. So here is this woman and she walks in at the same time where Simeon is giving this prophecy about Jesus. And Luke 2.38 says, Then she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So again, 
She didn't keep Jesus to herself. She let her light shine. And Jesus, the Redeemer of Israel, he would be found by all who search. She said, if you're looking for him, I found him. So Jesus, the Redeemer of Israel, would be found by all who searched. You know, and at 84 years old, I don't believe that she was old enough to live until she saw Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. But she knew that he was the Redeemer of Israel. She knew that because she had been praying and fasting, and the Bible even calls her a prophetess. So the original question, what did Mary know about Jesus? I hope that you can walk away saying to yourself, <laughs> Mary knew a lot. She had all these sources of information. She had angels. She had shepherds. She had family members. Um, she had people that she had never met in the temple. But even more important than the question, what did Mary know, is what do you know about Jesus? So that is the question to ask yourself. What do you know about Jesus? I hope you know at least as much as Mary did. I hope you know that Jesus is the horn of salvation, the light to the Gentiles, the redeemer of Israel, son of God. I hope you know that Jesus would and will bless all the families of the earth, including your family, that he will rule an everlasting kingdom, that he will reveal the hearts of men, and that he will be found by all who seek him. Jesus is the Lord of the barren and the babies, the unwed and the widow, the prophets and the priests, the angels and the shepherds. Can you say today that he is the Lord of your life? Can you say like Thomas did and Elizabeth did, my Lord, can you say that? If you can't, today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation and you can give the Lord Jesus a birthday present by making him your Lord. So what is your response to Jesus? Is it praise and thanksgiving like we saw throughout the story? Zacharias, shepherds. Is it that you are going to go and tell people about the Lord? Like Anna. I hope, most of all, that it's joy. That spiritually you will leap for joy. Let's pray.